may have heard that there's a political debate going on in Washington, D.C. over raising the federal debt ceiling. What in the world is a debt ceiling and why does it need to be raised? What happens if it's not raised? Let's start with what raising the debt ceiling is not. It's not about creating new government programs. It's about paying for everything that Congress has already voted on and approved. While presidential administrations propose an annual federal budget, the U.S. Constitution grants Congress what it calls the power of the purse, or control of the federal government's money. Congress determines what federal taxes individuals and businesses pay and what the federal government spends that money on. Both political parties, Democrats and Republicans, are involved in these decisions because control of Congress shifts back and forth and because votes are usually needed from members of both parties to pass the federal budget each year. Congress's funding decisions are also long-lasting. According to the U.S. Treasury Department, over 90% of the current national debt is due to policy choices made before President Biden took office. It's also important to note that funding decisions are not just about spending. Cutting taxes is one of the most serious funding decisions Congress makes. Cutting taxes reduces the amount of money the government has to pay its bills, including bills that it's been paying for decades and is committed to continuing to pay. Less money coming in from taxes means our government has to borrow more money to make up for that loss of income. The most recent example is a tax cut approved by the Congressional Republicans in 2017 under President Trump, which added more than $2 trillion to the federal debt. So, back to the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is the amount that the U.S. Treasury Department can borrow to help pay the bills that are due based on all those prior decisions by Congress. If current spending exceeds the debt limit, Congress needs to raise that limit to authorize more borrowing, or the federal government can only draw from the cash it has on hand. This would be the same as you needing to live entirely on any cash you have at the moment without using a mortgage, car loan, or credit cards. Most of us rely on one or more of those forms of borrowing in our everyday life. But you're probably asking, why does our federal government have to borrow money to pay its bills? Can't it just spend less? And who loans our government this money? Let's look at these questions one by one. The first point is that, yes, our federal government has debt. Actually, all nations, large and small, rich and poor, borrow and owe money to lenders. This is called sovereign debt. Sovereign debt is used to raise cash for a country's spending needs when its sources of revenue, such as income taxes, either aren't adequate or aren't paid at a time when money needs to be spent. One reason this happens to the U.S. government is because businesses and also many individuals pay their taxes quarterly or even annually, but the government has to pay out money more frequently than that. Another reason our government takes on debt is to finance national projects, such as new infrastructure like highways or bridges. But most of what the U.S. government pays for is not projects, but regular and mandatory commitments. For example, salaries for members of our military. The government can't make our service members wait to be paid until more taxes roll in. The same is true for all federal employees, such as air traffic controllers who keep flying safe, social security staff who make sure claims are processed so seniors get the money they need, and so on. The federal government is also on call to provide emergency assistance at any time, anywhere in the country. For example, regional disasters like the winter storms California just went through trigger federal disaster aid. Sometimes this federal assistance is mind-bogglingly large. In 2008, when the housing and stock markets crashed and a worldwide recession began, our federal government intervened to stabilize financial institutions and provide economic stimulus money to create jobs for people who'd lost theirs at a cost of over $1.5 trillion. 
During the COVID pandemic, the government spent more than $3 trillion for a wide variety of emergency measures, including vaccine development, manufacturing, and distribution, as well as critical economic relief for both individual citizens and small businesses. When crises like these occur, the government can't wait until more tax money comes in before acting to help its citizens. And tax revenue might not be adequate to such huge national needs anyway. So it relies on borrowing, just like any of us might borrow money in an emergency. Of course, some of what is spent could be reduced or even cut, but a full two-thirds of each year's federal budget consists of mandatory spending. The two biggest items in this mandatory category are Social Security and Medicare. These are often called entitlement programs because all of us who paid into them are entitled to draw benefits at a designated age. These benefits must be paid every month and can't simply be cut or eliminated. Other items in the federal budget are called discretionary spending because they can be adjusted every year. But that doesn't mean these are luxuries. The largest item by far in the discretionary federal budget is our military. Just this past year, the cost for the U.S. military was $773 billion. That's more than three quarters of a trillion dollars for a single year. Our military budget alone accounts for two-thirds of all discretionary spending by the federal government. So that's a quick look at why our government needs so much money. Let's talk about its debt. Who lends our government money? Well, it might be you or me, or your parents or grandparents. In fact, 80% of our national debt is owned by the American public in one form or another. If you want to lend the United States money, you can buy a U.S. savings bond or a treasury bill, also called a T-bill. You can buy them in amounts ranging from quite small to quite large, and they pay very good interest. And unlike other investments such as real estate or stocks, U.S. government bonds and T-bills are considered completely safe. You are guaranteed not only to get your interest paid on time, every time, but to get your initial investment paid back in full with absolutely no chance of it losing any value. That's a deal that you don't get when you buy a house or stocks or any other investment. And that's why U.S. government T-bills are considered one of the best investments in the world and why not only individual investors but other countries buy them. The U.S. T-bill is the gold standard of debt because it has, quote, the full faith of the U.S. government behind it, end quote. And that's because the U.S. government has never defaulted on its debt. But that's precisely what we would be doing if Congress refuses to raise the debt ceiling. The government would not have enough cash on hand to pay all its existing obligations and would have to default on some of them, which is something that has never happened before. Raising the debt ceiling is a formal process by which Congress, which has that power of the purse, agrees that the U.S. Treasury Department can take the steps needed to fund the existing financial obligations that Congress itself has already authorized. This includes paying Social Security, Medicare, and our military, as well as the interest owed to holders of those U.S. savings bonds and T-bills. Those holders include U.S. citizens, often retirees, who need that guaranteed interest income to live on. Because all federal government spending is approved by Congress already, some argue that this process of raising the debt ceiling is actually unnecessary. Historically, it's been a routine formality that occurs about twice a year, with neither Republicans nor Democrats objecting to it. The only reason we're talking about it now is that the current congressional majority party is threatening not to raise it. And again, not raising the debt ceiling means we, the United States, won't pay all the money that we've already promised to pay. Imagine if you refuse to pay your mortgage or your car payment. 
your home would be foreclosed on, your car would be repossessed, and your credit would be ruined. It's no different when a country won't pay what it's promised to pay. In fact, it's worse. Because the United States is the most powerful country in the world, and its commitment to pay its debt has always been ironclad, Congress declaring that the U.S. will default would not only seriously affect the U.S. economy, but likely the world economy as well. And that's why this decision matters to you and me. Congress refusing to raise the debt ceiling would potentially trigger a cascade of effects, much like the crash of the housing and stock markets in 2008, when people lost their homes and their jobs and a worldwide recession began. Even worse, no country or individual investor would ever trust the U.S. government not to default again in the future, just as lenders wouldn't trust you if you stopped paying your mortgage or car loan. This would make borrowing more difficult and expensive for the U.S., just as it does for people with bad credit. And the bottom line is that refusing to raise the debt ceiling would not save the U.S. government or us taxpayers any money. Not a cent. In fact, it would end up costing a tremendous amount because it would create a crisis that would require yet more government spending to rescue American citizens from the economic consequences of the default. And we know from the recent past just how very expensive crises are. So what are the chances that the United States will have such an unprecedented financial default? At this point, it's hard to say, but one thing's for certain, we will all know if it happens.